holy are you, Lord. Worthy of all the praise, worthy of all glory, all the honor, all of our attention this morning. May our hearts and minds be fixed on you, Lord. May you speak to us through your word, speak to us in power, convict us, change us, sanctify us. We ask all these things in the mighty name. So next Sunday, the message is going to be, Jesus is alive, Jesus still, Jesus loves us, and Jesus still does miracles. We have a few more of these left if you want to put one up in your your, uh, front yard. Today, as this is Palm Sunday and we're looking towards the week of great suffering of our Lord, we will participate in the Lord's Supper. And so... um, I want to prepare you for the Lord's Supper today. And to prepare for the Lord's Supper, I think that obviously the Lord's Supper is celebrating the good news. It's celebrating the abundant life that we have. It's celebrating that Jesus is alive, that Jesus loves us, that he still works miracles. It's celebrating the payment that Christ made for us, for our sins. And uh, uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity for us to Examine our heart, examine our lives, examine our commitment to Christ. Nothing highlights the good news more than the bad news. Nothing highlights love more than hate. Nothing highlights anger more than peace. And so today, I want to talk about what hell is like and prepare us to be able to see how wonderful Salvation is for us. How wonderful heaven is for us. In Lonesome Dove, there's a great scene that I think reveals much about people's belief systems now. Clara, you remember Gus's, he loved Clara. Should have married Clara, most likely. Clara's husband, Bob, they lived up in Nebraska, had that horse ranch. And Bob was kicked in the head by a horse, and he was totally comatose. And the writer said he's nothing more than a chore for Clara now. She has to clean him, change his diapers, and turn him like a pancake. And if you remember, Clara and Bob lost three sons. And now they're digging the grave for Bob. Cholo, who was the ranch helper for Clara, He's digging the grave, and he takes a rest on top of all the dirt that's there. And Clara says to him, she says, Cholo, sometimes it seems like grave digging is all we do around here, don't it? What do you think happens when we die? Cholo said, not too much. You are just dead. Not too much. You're just dead. That is the sentiment of huge portion of the population. What happens after you die? Since the possibilities are hard to to grasp, they're too difficult to understand, that is pretty much what you get a lot when you have conversation with people. What happens to us after you die? And Chola said, not too much, you're just dead. Claire Allen said this, which I think also reveals the sentiment of many people today. Maybe it's not as a big a change as we think. Maybe you just go back to where you lived 
or near your family or wherever you were the happiest. Only you're just a spirit now. And you don't have the troubles the living have. That, that sounds wonderful. Matter of fact, both of these sound wonderful compared to what the Bible actually says. Not much, you just die. You're just gone. You just cease to exist. Or maybe it's just that you're a spirit living where you really want to live, being around the people that you really want to be with, that, that you just... You just live a life free of troubles. You had troubles here, and when you die, you no longer have troubles. Neither one of those things is accurate according to what the Bible has to say. And so in order to highlight how wonderful the good news is, to highlight how wonderful it is that Jesus is alive, that he loves us, and he still works miracles today, that he's active, just a little bit of what the Bible has to say about what hell is like. In Revelation 14, we have the story after 144,000 explained. We have the story of three angels. The first angel talks about around the world, the gospel is spread throughout all the world. Wonderful, wonderful message that angel gives. The second angel gives the wonderful message that Babylon the Great has fallen. And then the third angel says, with a loud voice in Revelation 14, 9 through 11, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. I don't want to consider God's wrath at all. I don't want to consider the fruit of God's wrath. I don't want to be around God's wrath. I don't want to even be in the same location as God's wrath. But the Bible here tells us that those who receive the mark of the beast, that they're going to experience God's anger, God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. Fire and sulfur. Fire. You, you've experienced fire. You've experienced what fire feels like, its intense heat, how it impacts our skin, how horrible it could be if it's out of hand. We, we've seen pictures of the wild fires that went across West Texas, and, and when we're in a fire danger, we're all aware that we don't need to burn our trash, we don't need to weld, we need to be real careful, and, and fire is very, very dangerous. I can't imagine fire in the presence of sulfur. There's a little shop, a little, some kind of business on I-30 between here and Texarkana, and it's some kind of sulfur mixing plant. And there for about a mile, boom, man, that sulfur smells horrible. If you've ever been on I-10 in, in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Now, I have lived in Lubbock, let me tell you something. When that south wind blows after rain, it doesn't even come close to smelling like Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a horrible smell. And it says that that's what hell is like. It's like fire and sulfur. And holy angels in the presence of the Lamb, and verse 11, oh, almost can't, don't even want to read this. 
and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. The Bible tells us that their torment lasts forever and ever. The torment of unbelievers. The torment of people whose names are not written in the book of life. Torment lasts forever and ever. And it says, and they have no rest day or night. No rest. No rest. Day or night. And so they're in a place of unbearable existence. Horrible smell. And it goes on forever and ever. It's torment forever and ever. And they have no rest. They have no rest. Man, when I read that, I think about my loved ones who are without Christ. I think about neighbors without Christ. I think about people that are around that, that are without Christ and, and perhaps they just see the worst of me sometimes. Sometimes they see my human side more than it should. Sometimes they don't get a good depiction that Jesus is alive. You know, Gandhi said that he'd be a Christian if he'd ever saw one. He said he never saw a Christian around all those missionaries in India. He never saw a Christian that really loved, that really forgave, that really was all grace, that was at peace with themselves. Now, I don't know if that's an accurate description of, of Mahama Gandhi or not. I don't know the people here around. But when I consider hell, when I consider what hell is like, man, it, it, it does something in me. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-9 says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considered just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, coming in fire of power, inflicting vengeance on those, listen, you know, people believe that a Bible-thumping believer is narrow-minded, is ancient in thought, is closed-minded, bigot, right? We're a bigot, right? Because we do these things. Uncaring, unloving, you know, not willing to tolerate other people, but, but this is what the Bible says. And if, if, if the Bible is true about Jesus, if the Bible is true about heaven, if the Bible is true about salvation, the Bible is also true about eternal destruction. You can't pick and choose either we're in or not. You know, you can't just say what the Bible has to say about love is true, but what the Bible has to say about the righteous judgment of God is not true. You just... To me, I, I can't pick and choose that. I, 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 I've read the books. I've read the books that hell doesn't exist. I've read the books, there's no such thing as the righteous judgment of God. I, I've, I've listened to the talkers, the speakers that talk about, you know, that, that God is a God of love and grace and forgiveness. And, and, and we're already experienced enough suffering here. There's no such thing as eternal suffering. What kind of God would be, that be like? You know, we, we all want that. We all want to have a sleep at night theology. I want to be able to sleep at night. I want to be able to know that there is a heaven, but there's not a hell. That's good, right? We can sleep at night with that. But 
The truth is, that's not what the Bible says. And if the Bible is true, then we've got to read these things and, and we've got to, I think, believe these things and know these things and be warned by these things. It says that he will return and he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so hell is a place for those people who did not honor the gospel, who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's eternal destruction. They will suffer, verse 9, man, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Even in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's only one word in John 3, 16. Only one word, but let me tell you what that word means. For God so loved the world, that's wonderful. He gave his only son, that's wonderful. That whosoever believes in him, that's wonderful. We're not perish but have eternal life, will, but will not perish, but have eternal life is wonderful. We memorize it. Everyone memorized John 3, 16. But, but do you understand what the word perish means? The word perish. It means being under the wrath of God. That's what the word means. It means the torment, being under the torment of God. It means missing the glory of God. It means it's everlasting, perishing, keeps on perishing, eternal, never ends, perishing in the English language, everlasting and irreversible. Irreversible. I too, because I have loved ones that have died, I have loved ones that have not professed Christ. I have loved ones that were christened in the Church of England. I have loved ones that uh, believe that their salvation is in the hands of God and no real sign of evidence of the Holy Spirit in them, right? Perish. I can't fathom. I can't think about it. I, it it's just more than I can deal with. and it, wants, it moves in me to want to warn everybody I see. I want to get there. I want to have a conversation. I want to say, you can't make light of this. You can't make light of what the Bible says. I'm saying what the Bible says. Yeah, but, but, but what about this issue? You need to get all over all those issues. And don't let those issues get in the way of understanding that there is the righteous judgment of God on those who have not honored the gospel and not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are not my words. I didn't come up with that. No preacher came up with it. Those are the words of the Scripture. And in the greatest love verse of all, in the verse that has all the gospel in it, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life, has the word perish in it as a warning to us. Hallelujah if you believe, 
But if you do not believe, Jesus goes on to say, you are condemned already if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus. Jude 1, 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Forerunner forerunner. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. We have that going on today, don't we? We have that going on today. Pursuing unnatural desire. We've got it. That's going on. Now you think about the seriousness of homosexuality. This scripture obviously speaks to that. It reveals the condition of, of the sin. It reveals the condition of the against God's spirit in people. Against what is true. Against what is right. This week I heard our president say, that they want to respect all transgender people and they know they're loved and respected under the creation of God. Oh, it, it, it made me cringe. Let me tell you why it made me cringe. Not because I hate transgender people. Not because I understand what's going on. I have no clue. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've never once wanted to be a lady. I haven't, even when I was a kid, never. I, matter of fact, as far as I know, I didn't even know a kid in San Angelo, Texas that, that was born one way and wanted to be another. If, if, they, if they did, they really were quiet about it. Different day, long time ago, back in the dinosaur days, I know. But think about the mindset of God made a mistake when I was born a man or a woman. Right? I mean, I want to say, President, you're, you're misinformed here. You're not honoring God with that. You're not honoring God at all. God made us man and woman for a purpose. He made us. I mean, what does that mean that from the beginning of time, God knew us. He, fought, he knew us in the womb and He put His unique creative ability in us and we have this master DNA. We've got this mind that can think and reason. We've got a heart that keeps us alive, lungs that flourish and, and, and just give us nutrients and everything we need to survive. But, but we're like Solomon and Gomorrah today. It's the same thing. Unnatural desires. And it says they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Eternal fire. Mark 9. The words of Jesus. People said, well, Jesus didn't talk about hell. Not true. Matter of fact, you understand that Jesus talked about hell more than heaven. Jesus talked about Hell more than heaven. 
It's where we've got to pay attention to that. Look at Mark 9. Jesus said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, to, to him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown in the sea. None of us can swim 300 pounds of a millstone. The millstone is that huge wheel that they use to go around and grind the grain. You, you, can't, you can't swim with that. I mean, if they strap 50 pounds to you, you're probably gone, unless you're a Navy SEAL. And even then, it depends on how deep they put you, right? I mean, or if you're the, the swimming man, whatever his name was, Mark Spitz. It was the, the, for the younger people, the other one that I can't think of his name. I remember Mark Spitz. I can't remember this one. This one won all those, Mark Spitz won a lot of medals. But that was like in 1970. In Michael Phelps. Thank you. I was waiting for someone to help me. <laughs> ah, let's get back to this here. Mark 9. I just want to change the subject, don't I? Yep. Whoever calls one of the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow, there must be a severe, severe consequence for leading a little one astray. That you'd be better off with 300 pounds tied to you, bone in the sea. That, that sinks in, doesn't it? That makes us go, oh my. And then he uses hyperbole, Jesus does. And if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. He didn't mean that. That's hyperbole. He's saying, this is how important this teaching is. This is how significant this warning is. I'm trying to get your attention. Does anyone want to cut off their hand? No, of course not. But if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. It's better to have a cut off hand than the consequences. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and, and go to hell. A lot better for you. And then he says... It is better for you to enter life crippled than two hands could go to hell to the unquenchable fire. That's what Jesus said. That Jesus is for God so of the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. Jesus says, love your neighbors. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Jesus who said, who, who, who threw a stone at you, young lady? And she said, no. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That Jesus, the Jesus of grace, the Jesus that was on the cross said... Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Jesus is Jesus of love, of peace, of mercy, of abundant life. This Jesus said that you're better off cutting off your hands than going to hell. Because it's unquenchable fire. And verse 45 says, and if your foot causes you to sin, once again, hyperbole, cut it off. Jesus doesn't want us cutting off our feet. He wants us to understand the warning of this. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And, and look at verse 48. This is how Jesus describes hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Whew. I'd like to be able to tell you that in the original language, it doesn't really mean this. But that's not true. 
The worm doesn't die. The flesh doesn't die. The worm doesn't die. Can, it's really morbid, but I've done it. I'll admit it, and you've probably done it before. You go fishing sometime? That, yeah, light, light, your, light, of, can't, light a match and put it under that worm just to see. Sorry, I've done it. I wanted to see. I mean, the worm's going to die here in a little bit anyway because I'm going to throw him in. But can you imagine being on fire and not dying? Can you imagine being on fire and not dying? Can you imagine being on fire and you can't douse out the flame? Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, I've, I've thought sometimes about how I might die. I, I don't want to burn to death. I can't imagine those videos we've seen of people, you know, the monks in Vietnam that poured gas in themselves and lit it. I'm not against anything that bad. I don't get that. That's, I can't, I don't want to, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've burned my fingers playing with fire and playing with the, you know, trying to build a fire or something. I, I want nothing to do with that. It hurts. It hurts. And it hurts forever. Hell is a place where it hurts for eternity. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. I can't fathom that. That's beyond. But, but that's what Jesus says here. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Lord Jesus said this. Have you accepted Christ? Are you born again? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you had a change of heart? The Bible tells us that if we die without being born again, without being saved, without being rejected, without being forgiven, without accepting Christ, the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. Do you got loved ones who haven't believed in Christ? It, are, are there loved ones you haven't shared Jesus with? I mean, people, you think about, well, I just don't want to scare them away. From what? What in the world will we scare them from? I just don't want to be rejected. You've got to be kidding me. If they're going to die without Christ, I'm, I'm, throwing the, I'm throwing the lasso. I'm throwing the rope. I'm sending the rowboat. Aren't you? I'm doing all I can. I'm being wise. I'm not being uh, an ogre about it. But boy, every opportunity I have, I'm going, let's see if the Holy Spirit's at work. Let me throw some bait. Let me talk about the Lord a little bit and see what's happening. And I pray for him. Shouldn't we do that? I mean, if, if hell is real, then does our life reveal that hell is real? Are we living like hell is real? Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The Bible tells us that we need to be prepared for judgment. Daniel 12. And, and, and frankly, I say this one for last because I think it may be the worst one of all. Worse than unquenchable fire and the worm not dying? Hard to beat, but yes. At that time shall arise Michael, Daniel 12, 1 and 2, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble 
This is revealing prophecy to us, telling what's going to happen in the, in the future. But there's a lesson here for us, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book shall be delivered. We hold on to that, don't we? But look at what it has to say. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And some to shame. Oh, I should have believed in Jesus. Maybe some of that. I'm not quite sure how that all works out, but it says some to shame. There's going to be shame in hell. But everlasting contempt. The word means disgusted with yourself. Disgusted with yourself. I can't think of anything worse than eternally disgusted with yourself. I've been disgusted with myself. I've said things that I'm disgusted with. I've done things that I'm disgusted with, right? I've been foolish in my life. I've been disgusted with some of my foolish thoughts and my foolish ways. I've been disgusted with myself. Just disgusted. I can't imagine for all of eternity disgusted with ourselves. That's what hell is like. Hell is a place, it's eternal. The worm doesn't die. The, the thirst is never quenched, unquenchable thirst. It's, it's eternal torment. It's, it's horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. It's beyond my ability of English language to describe how absolutely Horrible hell is. It magnifies the good news. It helps us have a perspective. It helps us keep a priority. It, it helps us be passionate about what really matters. It doesn't help us begin to prioritize things. And, and if we really have an understanding of how horrible hell is and the reality of hell and what hell is like, things we worry about, we no longer worry about, right? I mean, we have other important things to deal with. We have other important things to be concerned with if hell is like this. I mean, whether or not you got cut off on the road, whether or not this happened, that happened, whether or not you got to pay more on your taxes, which I will, of course, every year, not whether or not you have to do all those things. I mean, whether or not you have this conflict. I mean, you know, we've got to come to the place where you go, there's something far more to be worried about than that. There's something far more anxious worry than that. And it's people dying without Christ and spending all of eternity, all of eternity from now on, forever and ever and ever, in eternal torment. I know we want to believe like Cholo, nothing you just did. I know we want to believe like Claire. Maybe you just go live to a nice place, Pollyanna, right? Maybe you just go and live in a nice place. Maybe you're around people you love. Maybe you're not there anymore. You're a spirit. Maybe you just don't have any more troubles. Oh, my goodness. People die without Christ. The troubles just begin in eternity. 
eternities forever and ever. But look what Revelation 1 says. John says, when I saw him, who they see Jesus in the book of Revelation, when he began to see either the panorama, uh, the video or the movie, whatever it was. I tried to think of it fast, couldn't think of it. When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Fear not, I'm Jesus, in other words. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one. I encompass all of life between the first and the last. I'm the one. He says, not only am I the first and last in verse 18, and the living one, I'm alive. He said, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I'm alive forevermore. I died. I was resurrected, and I'm alive forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm alive forevermore. And listen to this. Celebrate Jesus. Love Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Pay attention to his words. Just be so soaked up with Jesus. I mean, just absolutely live for him every single day. Dear Jesus, I am your servant. I serve at your pleasure. Lord, what do you want of me today? What spirit do I need to have? What attitude do I have? Lord Jesus, how do I follow you? What do I do? Lord, show me. Lord, what do you want of me? Lord, rend my heart. Move me, shake me, mold me, Lord Jesus, because it says, I have the keys of death and hell. Jesus has the keys of death and Hades, death and hell. Who has the keys? Jesus. Having the keys means what? It means the power and authority. So all of eternity is in Jesus Christ. He has the keys. How wonderful our salvation is. How wonderful that his death on the cross was. How wonderful his suffering was for us. He saved us from hell. From hell. Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, May our heart connect with you. May we examine ourselves. May your spirit work and move in us. Lord, some for salvation right now, they just need to believe in Jesus just to give their life to Christ. There needs to be some rededications of life. Lord, many of your people have just made some mistakes along the way. They need to be restored to come home again to you, Lord. But Lord, there's many that perhaps need to believe in you today. May they believe in you today. And if you're in that particular case, just, just very simply, the Lord's already working your heart. Just say, Lord, please come to my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Lord, I, I admit that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Will you come in my heart? I believe in you. I trust in you. I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. Just, just between you and the Lord, just say that to him right now. You may be thinking, I'm scared to death of dying and going to hell. Absolutely. Absolutely. You may be thinking, well, he's trying to scare me into believing in Jesus. Absolutely. You're right. He's just working on my emotions today. If I can, I am. You bet. But more importantly, 
I desire the Holy Spirit speak to you about those things. I desperately desire you be born again. Father, help us to examine our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, come forward for our Lord's Supper.